Good evening, dummies. It is Sunday, April 25th, 6.51 p.m. Wonderful to have you here. Why am I doing an episode on a Sunday? Well, we only did three last week, and I think it's important to keep up with current events. There's so many things going on. It seems like every day there is something new to talk about. And honestly, the site, more and more people are coming on. It's drawing a lot of attention. And of course, people want to come on and I don't know what they want to do. They certainly don't want to learn something. That's for sure. And they don't want to really try to comprehend and understand. They just want to get into an argument and prove their point. And then this is what happens. Somebody will come on. They'll see something that's on the site and then they will just lay down whatever they want. It, it's certainly not fun, full of fact. It's just a bunch of garbage and it doesn't really make any sense. Let me give you an example. Somebody came on last night on the meme that has that parents are responsible for how um, a lot of these things in society are happening with our lack of respect for police officers. We should have taught our kids that. Crime is wrong, et cetera, et cetera, respect the police and not necessarily the police's fault because it's a chicken and an egg type thing. Um, parents have first shot at, at creating upstanding individuals and police officers are usually the last people that stand between that and crime. So it should start at inception with how we raise our children. Well, Somebody came on and said, this is a bunch of bull crap. We need to train more officers. And and here here's an example of one shooting that happened where it was absolutely unjustified. Guy was on the ground. He did nothing wrong. He got shot anyway. Accidental discharge, but still got shot. And my point was, well, if you're going to pull one case to try to rip at one thread on this meme and say that it's inaccurate and it's not factual simply because it happened one time. I'm going to tell you that every theory on the planet can be disproven and everything in science can be disproven because there are abnormalities in anything, even fact. There are variant degrees of consistency. It's not that a law happens in science and then it can never, ever change because that's the great thing about science. It can change. It can evolve. The same thing with our laws and our constitution and sociology, psychology, all the things that we do, the study ofs. So my simple point was, well, if you're going to pull one case to show me that this disproves everything, then I'm going to go ahead and refer to just the 32 million traffic stops that happen each year that don't result in anything but a traffic ticket. And therefore that I have 32 million reasons to disprove why your one, for instance, example means nothing in the scheme of things. It is a small snapshot. It's a microcosm of the whole. Well, then it started with an immediate switch. Well, you're, you're creating a straw man argument. Well, actually, a straw man argument isn't that. Straw man argument is changing something, the topic, to something completely different. And then chastising or berating a person because they aren't able to necessarily engage in that change of topic or can't speak to it with the same amount of proclivity that they can with the previous topic. That's a straw man argument. So in fact, the gentleman who was saying that I did a straw man just did a straw man about straw man arguments. 
And the thing is, is that the next thing that I knew was going to happen because he copied it right out of phoenix.edu because I happened to take the same damn course in sociology that he did is I knew he was going to go through the rest of the fallacy arguments. There's like nine of them. And these are the way that people argue. And there's fact-based, fallacy-based arguments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Straw man arguments. And the whole, the whole thing, the red herring argument, the whole thing is, Literally seconds later, he starts going ahead and and reciting phoenix.edu of another argument that I did. And the point is, what exactly are you trying to get out of that? Now, this is one person out of 17,000 followers. It's one person. Should I take that and actually allow that to monopolize space in my head? Well, yeah, because here's the thing. This show is about trying to give a different perspective on things. And yes, there's times where I will bother Republicans or I may bother Democrats, but ultimately I try to be at least fair. But what happens is, is you post a meme, which honestly is just, it's meant for a laugh. It's like a a one-liner joke. But then when you treat it like war and peace or the Bible or the preambles, you can't possibly disseminate enough information to make that statement. A meme is simply just a a funny little quip. But when you apply ulterior motives to the meme and have it actually speak for the person when you process in that your head, then that makes you a simpleton. It makes you not only assumptive, it makes you ignorant. So what I would love to see is if people would come on the site and ask questions. Hey, how do you feel about the certain cases where actually people were innocent or were unarmed or were accidental discharge or just cops making horrible mistakes, or they were racist, which has been found plenty of times. That's a great question. And it would, it would obviously put me in a situation where I could become defensive. I could become retaliatory or I could simply say, those are really, I didn't think of that. Thanks so much. I, you're right. I think that there are several times that this is the exception to the rule, that you're mentioning exceptions to this rule that we put out there, that most police interactions are fantastic, and some aren't. But the overwhelming number are, and that's what we're talking about. But thank you for saying that. I really appreciate your perspective. But when we sit here and say racist or you're an idiot or racists usually get triggered, when they're called racists, listen, I will say it again. If you get into a conversation with me or one of the listeners and you're going back and forth and back and forth and you're frustrated and you're getting upset, which is fine because everyone does it. I do it. I get upset too. Just come on the show because that right there will show me that you are passionate and you are sincere and you're really looking for an answer. Otherwise, fuck off. Fuck off. This is the wrong site. I don't want you here. Because if you really want to learn and you want to have a human connection and try to discover something together where we both can walk away and actually go, holy crap, I didn't think of that. That really changed my outlook on things. Fuck off. Because you don't have the passion to be in this conversation. Because this conversation is extremely delicate and passionate. And people's lives depend on some of these ideas that we're kicking around. 
some of the policy that will be created from this. So we're going to talk about some of these things tonight. And I appreciate you letting me do a long intro. And it's not that every time somebody comes on, I'm going to be like, oh, no, because it happens all the time. But I'm tired of getting into these 13-page epitaphs. And honestly, nobody has the time to do that. Most of us are literally either taking a shit or we're, we're, we're feeding our kids in one arm and cooking dinner in the other and then reading uh, the phone that's on the counter. Or we just got on a lunch break. We don't have the time to literally play freaking Matlock and Law and Order. So if you want to literally get into a massive debate in ones and zeros, let's do it the right way. Let's do it in person. Let's do it where we can actually show and express feeling. And we can hear how our inflection is so we can understand each other's intent. Otherwise, when we read it and read text, so much is lost in translation and there's no point. Nobody's mind has ever been changed on Facebook and it certainly won't start today. You're not going to change mine. I'm not going to change yours. But if we begin dialogue, we will. So come on the show. Say, Matt, I want to get on. I'm waiting for that person. I'm waiting for the person who has the gumption, the balls, the stones, the cojones, the huevos, to come on and have a conversation, not face me because that's not a horrible proposal, hopefully, because I honestly, I am not the most prolific debater on the planet, but I do come with facts and that usually keeps people away. It's like dragon's bane for liberals. Facts scare the crap out of liberals. What are we doing tonight? What are we talking about? Earmarks. What are earmarks? Well, we're going to talk about what earmarks are. And of course, it has to do with government spending. We're going to talk about microaggression. Really, there's a new name for it. It's not quite aggressive. It's microaggression. It's kind of like micro cars. You remember those? And then, of course, another shooting. What would a day be without another shooting? And this shooting is interesting. One of the readers, listeners brought it up on Don't Unfriend Me and simply said, here's an example of why that meme is stupid is because Mr. Dante Wright, I believe his name is, was shot. And this is how he was shot. And it was for registration tags. We're going to find out if that's true. We're going to dive into it tonight. I promise it will be emotional and it's going to be passion filled. And hopefully you will find it fun. What does a racist Matthew McConaughey look like? We've all know Matthew McConaughey. He's a laid back guy, a little Southern accent. He's chill. I was born in Louisiana, but Remy LeBeau. Uh, Who is Matthew McConaughey? Well, we've seen him. He was in the movie Time to Kill. He was in Wolf of Wall Street. And if you you could just tell he's probably the most down-to-earth guy in the world. But what if Matthew McConaughey was racist? What would his mantra be? Well, it would be something like, all white, all white, all white. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest always direct so sit back relax don't unfriend me starts right now all right all right all right welcome again folks it's good to see you i actually had another podcast reach out to me and i haven't had a chance to listen to it the guy was super cool nice guy and just said, hey, man, love the show. You're doing a great job. I've got my own. Will you take a listen? I did. And, and honestly, 
I love that. If there's anyone out there who is looking to collab or work together, there's this wonderful lady um, named Amy who lives around here. She's a, a fellow YouTuber and um, she has she works in real estate and she's got this great group that she's putting together with Loudoun County. And she's an amazing person, very high energy. And I'm going to have her on the show. But if you want to collab, if you need some help or if you want to help me out, whatever, we can link each other's pages or maybe we can be guests, whatever. I'd love to do that. I would love to start getting a network of people who do this. So simply let me know. Social media, you can find me right here on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all of that. Go over to YouTube, go over to Instagram. I know a lot of my followers are on Facebook, but I would love to have you over there as well. And my website. If you can't find it on YouTube and Facebook, it will be here on www.dontunfriendme.com. You can find my podcast, my videos, my entire catalog of what I do and say right there. And let's get into our show. Earmarks. A fight is raging in Congress over proposals to restore the practice of spending earmarks. These are small provisions slipped into the spending bills. These quietly authorize millions for local projects and special interests. But a new report reminds us that despite a ban on earmarks being implemented in 2011, the practice never fully went away. Go figure. Published by the advocacy group Citizens Against Government Waste, the 2021 Congressional Pig Book exposes 285 earmarks from fiscal year 2020, totaling $16.8 billion. Here are the seven wild examples of corrupt earmarks and what the new report exposes. $663 million to eliminate the brown, excuse me, <laughs> this would have been, somebody would have gotten fired for this one for sure. 663000 excuse me, to eliminate the brown tree snake, a pest found in Guam. $65 million for the Salmon Recovery Fund. All right, someone needs to be fired for that. A program intended to reverse the declines of Pacific salmon and steelhead supporting conservation efforts in California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Alaska. $41 million for the Starbase Youth Program, an uh, initiative that teaches science, technology, engineering, and math STEM to at-risk youth in multiple locations or near, near military bases around the country. And I think that's fine. $41 million for any youth program is good. The question is, is why is it stuck into the bill? $1.7 billion for 17 unrequested F-35 Joint Strike Fighter Jets, JSF aircraft, a type of plane which the report warns has been plagued with cost overruns, delays, and poor performance. Well, I don't know if that's completely true. $41 million to combat underwater pests, with $25 million allocated to controlling aquatic plants. $5 $5 million for National Capital Arts and Cultural Affairs, an earmark for elite D.C. entertainment institutions such as the Kennedy Center. $20 million for the Asia Foundation, which is committed to improving lives across a dynamic and developing Asia. That's a lot of money. And the problem with earmarks, it's really simple. Some, including myself, argue that earmarks are merely the money that greases the wheels of Congress so things can get done or alternatively, dismiss the amount of money as relatively trivial. But billions of dollars in waste is no laughing matter for a country drowning in debt, literally. Meanwhile, the very nature of earmarks makes them prone to corruption and dysfunction. Wasteful and inefficient results are far from surprising. Pepperdine U economics professor Gary Gales explained, because unlike when people spend their own money and therefore choose only what they value more than the cost, 
Earmarks come almost exclusively from others' pockets via federal financing. If what the earmarks provided were efficient from the local beneficiaries' perspectives, they should have been willing to fund them themselves. Quote, if those directly affected are unwilling to pay out of their own pockets, then the money would be better left in their pockets without an expensive detour inside the beltway, he concludes. Because of this dysfunctional system, earmarks result in even more waste and inefficiency than the normal spending process. That's not something any responsible taxpayer should stand for. The waste and corruption exposed by citizens against government waste couldn't be more relevant as the revelations come as many lawmakers are trying to reinstate the practice in full under the new guise of community projects. However, the report is further galvanizing a push against this reinstatement among fiscally conservative lawmakers, and there's not many left. For far too long, earmarks have been used as a form of legal bribery, enabling party bosses to pass irresponsible and bloated spending that has ballooned government spending and, are at, and added to our staggering $28 trillion national debt, Senator Ted Cruz said. Quote, we should maintain and restore ban on earmarks because Congress should be focused on defending fiscal sanity, not bringing home the bacon. Utah Senator Mike Lee added that earmarks are one of the most shameful practices in Congress, warning that bringing back earmarks will make it impossible to end our broken and unaccountable system of spending. And Senator Rand Paul, a longtime champion in the fight against government waste, called on fiscal conservatives to be vigilant against the return of earmarks, which funnel tax dollars to special interests and campaign donors. Overall, the big picture and earmarks are one battle and a very large fight, and even a larger fight. So long as there remain armies of lobbyists drooling over carving themselves even more pork, the debate over earmarks isn't going to go away. But the practice is more than a single issue. It is emblematic of the bureaucratic dysfunction and rank immortality of a federal government that doles out trillions each year from the pockets of others. Solving the problem isn't simply a matter of putting the right people in charge. It will require shrinking the federal government back to the original minor role it played in our constitutional system. It starts with balancing the budget. It starts with not only being fiscally responsible, but morally responsible for money that isn't yours. Remember, if the Constitution is for us and the government is there to protect us and we have a document that protects us for the government, then most assuredly, so are the laws meant to protect us from the harm of others and sometimes the harm of ourselves. And if the judicial system is there to go ahead and interpret those laws and the executive branch enforces those laws, then obviously the money that they collect from us should be spent by us with our voice and our vote. And we are not represented on where that money goes. If you take a look at the latest coronavirus package, I went through it on another show. I'll try to link it right here. We saw so much money overseas. 600 million went to the United States and the rest of that 1.6 billion or trillion dollars, 600 billion dollars went in the U.S. and the rest went overseas. Why? Where is the accountability? I read off all the countries that it went to and how much it went to. Over 26 different locations received money that was collected by the U.S. taxpayer and also collected by our gross national product and imports and exports. Where could that money have gone? Could we have paid some things back? This endless credit card that we have is not going to be helped with earmarks because not only does it spend more money wastefully, 
It then purchases the politicians who are supposed to represent us, and they are representing corporate America. And that is what's wrong with our government today. It's not the Constitution. It's not the system. It's not the processes. It's the people who are in power. Dante Wright, a traffic stop that quickly turned deadly last Sunday when a white, of course, it's got to be white, Minnesota police officer fatally shot Dante Wright, a 20-year-old black man. Of course, it has to be a black man because that's the only thing that people seem to care about nowadays, not the black-on-black crime or the white-on-white crime or the any other crime that happens. As long as it's racially motivated, it's sexy, and it gets headline news. Go to any major newspaper, any TV station, and the headlines are all not about mass shootings anymore, but about police officers. How come the same news stories keep creeping up? It's the pandemic. It's how bad the president was. It's mass shootings. It's police shootings. It's racism. And it's the Middle East. The same Cyclical stories have been going on for the last 10 years. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there is a, a, a lottery, so to speak, where they spin a Plinko machine or a wheel and it lands on something and they find out what they're going to talk about for the month. But no matter what, these are the things that get people divided. These racial overtones and undertones, this subtle nuance where we ensure that we always include the race of a person. Inherently, isn't that racist? If we only care about the color of somebody's skin, and that is the only thing we report on versus that they were an upstanding human being, or they were a pastor, or they were a youth program leader, or they rescued a dog named Spot, does that not break down the dichotomy of a person to just something that they have absolutely no control of, the pigmentation in their body? But we can't ask that question. Why? Because there's no one to answer because everyone's doing it. Kim Potter, 48, meant to deploy her taser instead of her gun when she fatally shot right in his car. I have a video. I decided not to show it. It comes down to this. She grabbed the wrong uh, wrong device. On her hip, she had two. She has her taser and then she has her firearm. And I'll go into a little bit about detail on this. When she shot him in the car, uh, according to then Brooklyn Center Police Chief Tim Gannon, two days after the incident, both she and Gannon resigned, and Potter has been since charged with second-degree manslaughter. The shooting, which Brooklyn Center Mayor Mike Elliott called deeply tragic, has sparked days of protests in Minneapolis suburb, would we expect anything less, as the murder trial for another police killing of an unarmed black man, George Floyd, is underway nearby. Well, now it's over. The Wright family lawyers have called the use of force no accident. Traffic violation. On Sunday afternoon, Wright was pulled over for an expired registration tag while driving in his white Buick in Brooklyn Center, which is about 10 miles northwest of Minneapolis with a female passenger. The traffic stop occurred at approximately 1.53 p.m. at 63rd Avenue North and Orchard Avenue north according to the criminal complaint against potter now there's a lot of detail here and i want to make sure we understand the timeline and what happened so i'm going to go into more depth than most people would and i'm taking the video out of it in case you haven't seen it you can actually play this in your mind's eye and it might be easier than to go watch the video and come up with your own conclusions don't just listen to me check everything i say too wright called his mother during the traffic stop to tell her police just pulled him over now here are my thoughts if you break out a phone That is not required during a police stop. In fact, I wouldn't recommend it. 
recording the police you can do and it's constitutionally fine to do so as long as you are pulled over when you do with your car turned off and you've met all the other requirements of the traffic stop which he had not which immediately puts him behind the eight ball his mother katie wright told good morning america tuesday that her son said he was pulled over because i had air fresheners hanging in the rearview mirror and that he needed the car insurance information there's the issue the first thing you do is grab your license. You then grab your registration and your insurance. I suggest license first because when your hands cannot be seen by an officer, that is not a good thing. Don't wait to do that. Rummage through your purse or wallet quickly and get that done. Then go into the glove compartment, get it out in an easy carrier. Put it in a little folder. Don't go burying for it and digging for it when the police officer comes to the window. Then have your window rolled down. If you have a cigarette, make sure it's put out and extinguished properly. Don't litter. Don't get another ticket. And then turn off your damn radio and shut off your car. Keep your hands at 10 and 2. Why? Because you should just do all the right things that you can. And I'm not trying to be a father out there. And I'm not anybody's father. But to the younger audience listening to me, these things will keep you out of trouble. And then the the, the most important thing is the answer is yes, sir, No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Try not to say three or four sentences. Try to just use a couple of words to convey what you want to get across. And now is not the time to litigate the case. Take your ticket, sign it, shut up, and move along. That is the way to get out of any altercation with the police, period. And how do I know that? Because I've been doing it for 47 years. And for the person who was on Don't Unfriend Me who said I was 50, screw you. I don't look 50 jerk she said she told him to take the air fresheners down and to let her speak with the police over the phone so she could give them the insurance details once again parents you are responsible for educating your children that is the stupidest thing you could ever do take down air fresheners well what is that police officer going to think that you're putting them up why to cover the scent of something that you don't want them to smell and then you want them to put hi this is my mom talk to her If you're responsible enough to drive a car, you are responsible enough at 20 years old to defend yourself. Shut the damn phone off and answer the police officer's questions and do what you're told. But we know what this is about. We don't know what the contents in the vehicle are, but I have a good idea. There is probably something illegal and there's more to the story, but this is never actually released because the media has no interest in doing that. But I promise you there was something in the vehicle or he had done something prior to that that he was worried and nervous about. Because this isn't the first time he has tried to elude police. It's not the first time that he had a firearm. Now, he did not have one at this time that we understand. But we do understand why the cops would be hesitant. Because when they run that background NCIC and they do a state and local check on their computer, which they always do based upon license plate, they find out if the car is actually stolen or not. And then who it belongs to. And then they find out the criminal record of that person. When you give them the ID... They already knew who this gentleman was. The car was not stolen. It was registered to him and therefore his family. The moment that they checked his information, they will know all they need to know about him. I would recommend to all people out there to just do what you're told. Do not fidget. Do not reach into a backpack. Do not throw something out the window. Don't eat evidence. Just take your medicine because you're already caught. Mom said at that point that she heard police ask her son to step out of the vehicle. Asked, not demanded, not scream, asked. 
There's an outstanding warrant on this this young man. One of the officers at the scene was Brooklyn Center Police Officer Anthony Lucky, according to the criminal complaint. Lucky had run a record check and found Wright had a warrant for his arrest over a gross misdemeanor weapons charge. What's a gross misdemeanor weapons charge? Carrying a weapon when you're not supposed to. Uh, having a weapon that's not yours. Uh, brandishing a weapon. There's a lot of things. Misdemeanor. Uh, but depending upon the state laws and open carry laws is really dependent on what happens here. But either way, it's a weapons charge. And that immediately makes hairs on the back of officers necks stand up most assuredly, just like having a concealed weapons permit makes them relax and calm down. I've been pulled over plenty of times with me carrying. And every time I do, you see a posture change in the police officer. They know that this person doesn't have a felony. They have no warrants and they are an upstanding human being. Otherwise, they would not have a concealed carry license. At 2.01 p.m., Lucky approached the driver's side of Wright's car and asked him to exit, asked him, and placed his hands behind his back. And this is where it goes awry. Remember the chicken and the egg thing, folks. Let's go ahead and understand cause and effect. Every action will at least have an equal and opposite reaction at the very least. So when we're saying that he does something which causes the rest to happen, just like George Floyd, by resisting arrest, he allowed that to happen. Now, was it his fault? No, he should not have been killed. But the point is, is if he would have done what he was told, this wouldn't have happened. The same thing in this case as well. And that is the one thing that all of these cases have. A few don't. Those are the exception to the rule. But when they are consistently showing up as people resisting arrest, that is your root cause. A lack of respect for the police and the unlawful disobeying of an officer's lawful order. Period. Just like mass shootings are from crazy people, this is the most consistent theme in these unarmed or resisting arrest situations. Wright's mother was still on the phone at this point. She said, Dante said, for what am I in trouble? Once again, this is not the time to ask questions. It is not the time to litigate the case. Do what you're instructed to do. And the officer said, we're going to explain that when you step out of the car. And they asked him to put the phone down. I heard the phone getting put down pretty hard, she told. She said, Wright exited his car and initially followed commands. The criminal complaint stated Officer Lucky told the victim that he was being arrested for his outstanding warrant, which is absolutely 100% justifiable at that point. The two were standing next to the open driver's side door as Lucky was attempting to handcuff Wright when Wright tried to reenter the car. Body-worn camera footage released by the Brooklyn Center Police Department shows, quote, I heard scuffling and the girl that was with him screaming, and I heard an officer ask for them to hang up the phone, and then I didn't hear anything else. Wright's mother said, taser, taser, taser. Lucky's training officer, Potter, a 26-year veteran of the Brooklyn Center Police Department who had thousands of stops completely, if my, it's my understanding, Incident free as far as any shootings or drawing her weapon. I could be mistaken. I'll look into it, but that's my understanding. And even if there were 26 year veteran and she's a training officer, that says something had also approached the driver's side door as Wright was being taken into custody. As he struggled to get back into the car, Potter can be heard in the body cam footage yelling, I'll tase you. I'll tase you as she held her Glock nine millimeter handgun in her right hand and pointed it at Wright. 
Potter yelled taser, taser, taser before pulling the trigger on her gun at 2.02 p.m., firing one round into the left side of the victim, according to the criminal complaint. Wright said, he shot me before driving off, according to the complaint. As the car sped away, Potter can be heard in the body cam footage saying, shit, I just shot him. Former Brooklyn Center police officer Kim Potter um, has been charged, as we said, with second-degree manslaughter. Wright's mother told and said to GMA she tried to call back several times, and then the girl that was with him answered the phone, and she said that they shot him, and he was laying in the driver's seat unresponsive. Quote, and then I heard an officer ask her to hang up the phone again, and then after that, that's the last time I've seen my son. I haven't seen him since, she said. On Monday, Gannon told reporters that based on the footage and Potter's reaction and distress immediately after, he believed the shooting to be an accidental discharge. According to the criminal complaint, Potter's handgun was holstered on the right side of her duty belt and her taser, which is yellow with a black grip, on the left. The taser was set in a straight draw position, meaning the defendant would have to use her left hand to draw the taser out of its holster, according to the complaint. Dead at the scene, Wright drove a short distance before striking another vehicle, police said. Responding medical personnel attempted life-saving measures, but Wright was pronounced dead at the scene. A woman who Wright's mother told reporters was his girlfriend suffered non-life-threatening injuries during the crash. The occupants of the car that was struck were uninjured. A preliminary report released Monday by the Hennepin County Medical Examiner said Wright died from a gunshot wound to the chest and that his death was a homicide. His time of death was listed as 2.18 p.m. at 63rd Avenue North. The Minnesota Department of Public Safety's Bureau of Criminal Apprehension is investigating the shooting. Potter, who made her first court appearance Thursday, is scheduled to return to court May 17th. Here's the problem. And, and, and I don't even want to call it a problem. Once again, these cases are extremely, extremely complicated. I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Did Mr. Wright expect to die that day? No. That's the answer. Did those police officers kill him on purpose out of racist behavior? No, there, there's no, there's no evidence to lead to that conclusion. Was this an intense adrenaline based moment for both parties? Yes. Did the training officer ever pull her weapon before? I don't think so. It's possible. I think maybe I read something that she might've been involved in another shooting, but the point is, is that officers, officers usually don't have to brandish their weapon and most police keep their gun holstered for most of their careers. It's not as often as you would think. Now, maybe she didn't train properly. Maybe she was hired and after 26 years, she was phoning it in. Maybe she was so overinflated with adrenaline that she made a horrible decision. Or maybe there was malfeasance. Maybe she was inept. It doesn't matter. The courts will find that out. But the whole premise of racism is ridiculous. There is no way that this was premeditated or that after 26 years, this officer said, today is the day that I'm going to go kill a black man. We have to stop this language. Is there a training issue? Probably. Do I know the difference between a taser and a Glock? Yes, but I've also put 50,000 rounds downrange on a Glock. I don't know 
what her training level is. But what I do know is that that's a question that needs to be answered. I also need to understand, has she been involved in de-escalation? But the most important thing that we should be asking is why did he run? Because he knew he had a warrant out for his arrest. The police officers thought that maybe he was going for a gun. And I think that's fair, especially when there's a misdemeanor gun charge on his record. And it's right there in black and white. This isn't just about registration. He wasn't killed because he didn't have registration, but that's the narrative, right? Because that's sexy. And the people coming onto the site who are challenging and everyone's thoughts are saying, oh, he was just innocent. Well, he wasn't innocent. He ran. And this is the problem with this theory about racism. They didn't shoot him because they were racist. They shot him because a cop had a horrible and made a bad decision, which she needs to be held accountable for. And second, he ran, period. If he wouldn't have run, he would probably be in, at home, in bed, bailed out by now. Over something small like that, he would have been out of jail in six hours. <sighs> Microaggressions and can black people be racist? All right, this is a delicate one. This one's delicate. Because I understand the definition of racism, and I understand the time that it was created, and we're going to go in that tonight. But let's talk about microaggressions, and then we'll get into this racist. Can black people be racist? Some will tell you yes. Some friends that I have who are African-American are extremely self-aware and will say absolutely we can. And some will say absolutely not. There's no way. It just depends. But here are some microaggressions. Not aggression, mind you. Microaggression. If you ask the question, where are you from? Where were you born? You speak English very well. A person speaking, uh, asking an Asian American to teach them words in their native language. And this is what these microaggressions mean. You are not American. You are a foreigner. Well, no, that's not it. I had a housekeeper who barely spoke any English. And after talking to her for 15, 20 minutes, I just finally said, you've done a, you really speak English very well. Where did you learn English? It's not difficult to understand that English is a second language. I'm sorry. I'm not a complete moron. Especially when she tells me that she's from Mexico and her accent is thicker than London fog. There's no microaggression there. Here's some more. You are a credit to your race. You are so articulate. Asking an Asian person to help with math or science. Here's what you're saying if you do any of that. People of color are generally not as intelligent as whites. It is unusual for someone of your race to be intelligent. And then all Asians are intelligent and good in math and science. You know what? I always ask the smart kid to help me. I didn't care what color they were. Here's some more. When I look at you, I don't see color. America is a melting pot. There is only one race, the human race. This is what it means. Denying a person of color's racial ethnic experiences. Oh, gosh. Assimilate our... Um, assimilate to the dominant culture and denying the individual as a racial cultural being. Listen, do you understand that there is nothing that white people can say? We're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't. It's the old adage. Hey, do you still beat your wife? Uh, no. Oh, you stopped? Yes. Oh, you never stopped beating your wife? You used to beat her? It's, it's just a catch-22. You can't even have a conversation anymore. Here's some more examples. A white man or woman clutching their purse or checking their wallet as a black or Latino approaches or passes. I do that with everybody. I don't care what color you are. 
a store owner following a customer of color around the store. Well, if you happen to be in a neighborhood where there's a lot of crime and it happens to be anybody, I don't care if it's Chinese, Japanese, Mexican, or white, and that person who fits that demographic comes in, you're going to obviously clutch your pearls. Make sure that your small business is not ripped off. Why are we so concerned about what a store owner does and not worry about actually people who are committing the crime? Don't you see? This is that old chicken and the egg thing. It's racist for you to assume I'm shoplifting. Well, were you going to shoplift? Yes, but that's not the point. Here's another one. I'm not a racist. I have several black friends, which means I'm immune to racist because I have friends of color. Your racial oppression is no different than gender oppression. I can't be racist. I'm like you. It's not what it's saying. But what's funny is, is in this whole cop debate, I have heard more liberals tell me in argument, I have police friends. I don't hate the police. Did you just use the black friend argument on me? Lastly, asking a black person, why do you have to be so loud and animated? Just calm down. And then it means assimilate to dominant culture. Leave your cultural baggage outside. No, it means shut the hell up. You're loud. I don't care what color you are. If you're a loud, obnoxious ass, which some people might find me to be that way, I'm going to tell you to shut up. It has nothing to do with what color you are. These are these microaggressions. I want to define a racist for you. A racist is one who is both privileged and socialized on the basis of race by a white supremacist racist system. This is so important. I bet if you ask somebody what a racist is, they're going to say a Nazi. That's not what it is. Are Nazis racist? Yes. But that's not what a racist is. The Ku Klux Klan is racist. Yes, they are. But that is not the definition of racism. Once again, a racist is one who is both privileged and socialized on the basis of race by a white supremacist racist system. And this is why white privilege is the biggest crock of shit ever. Because when they say white privilege, they're taking words directly out of racism. And they are applying it to you that you are racist. They're not saying, even though all the terminology is, you don't know you're privileged. You could have gotten support for being white, even though you didn't know it because you're too stupid and white to know so. No, they're calling you a racist. The last part, the term applies to all white people, people of European descent, living in the United States, regardless of class, gender, religion, culture, or sexuality. By this definition, people of color cannot be racist. Because as peoples within the U.S. system, they do not have the power to back up their prejudiced hostilities or acts of discrimination. That is the actual definition. Saying that it takes a position of power. Well, that's not what the definition says. The definition simply says that you benefit from social and privilege from the dominant power. So let me ask you a question. What happens when there are certain laws that are written specifically for minorities that exclude whites. Oh, no, that's just justifiable action. So affirmative action isn't racist. Why not? Preferential treatment on job applications is not. What about the Oscars, who now say a certain percentage of people have to be nominated from different races, and every race has to be represented for that film to qualify? Is that not racist? Don't get me started on the Oscars. In January 1987, Socialist Worker published the article, The Fallacy of Reverse Racism, in which the author wrote, blacks cannot be racist. They are not in a position to oppress anyone, certainly not the majority white population. 
in the U.S. In 1991, Spike Lee said in a Playboy interview, black people can't be racist. In 2013, George Professor Georgetown of Georgetown, Michael Eric Dyson, who had previously said black people do not have the capacity for racism, said white people needed to die in numbers equal to black people in order for racism to end. <sighs> The idea that black people can't be racist is just a meme. It's not a coherent argument. It is easy to see why it appeals to everyone. The programs these folks want to defend and, if possible, advance are inherently racist. That is, they divide people into primary groups by race, treat race as essential, and distribute public goods according to racial group identification and affiliation. This is purely and simply racism. Because it is so patent, its supporters must reach for excuses and workarounds. The mainstream justification is like Justice O'Connor's. Yes, racial preferences are bad. And it would be great if we could get along without them, but we will have to make use of them for a while until we have reached an equitable society. Shakti Butler, Sadie Grundy, and the other radicals reject this in favor of redefining racism in a manner that excludes the possibility of black racism. The usual step is to assert that racism must involve a structural privilege that an oppressed group can never have. In a scene in the 2014 film Dear White People, one black character says to another, black people can't be racist, prejudiced. Yes, but not racist. Racism describes a system of advantage based on race. Black people can't be racist since we don't stand to benefit from such a system, end quote. The psychological appeal that I talked about earlier of this idea is immediately apparent. It invites racial minorities to valorize their own racism, but it is an idea that withers if you look more closely. And here's why, because it's not the 1960s anymore. To call racism a system of advantage based on race truncates the concept. To break it down, racism is first of all a belief that racial classification is valid. That classifying people by race captures some of the most important differences among people. To this, racism adds the idea of ranking. Some of those differences aggregately make the members of group X better than group Y. Only then do we get to the possibility of a system of advantage based on race. Such social systems exist and are actually pretty common, but of course, not all systems of advantage are based on race. They may be based on lots of other things like family wealth, birth order, or social networks, just for a few examples. These may overlap with racial categorizations, but which are not racial per se. This isn't a minor distinction. It is essential to the question of how equitable our society really is. Those who reduce everything to race or who make a practice of discovering racism hidden behind every disparity are engaged what has become the most common contemporary form of racism in America. Define racism as group hierarchy in which only the privileged dominant group can be racist. And instantly this common form of racism racism is defined out of existence. The portrait of American society as essentially a hierarchy of privilege based on race, it's false. But that idea is the beating heart of the post-Ferguson protests. It was true at one time, but the American racial hierarchy has been dismantled, dismantled legally, politically, morally, and socially, and to a fair degree, economically, 
It is left to be sure remnants. And there are absolute cases, once again, chicken and the egg, the outliers. And of course, it remains in memory as a cultural artifact and for some, a central and a powerful one. And so powerful that they're incapable of forgetting it and that they believe that it will happen again. Racism is not what it used to be. It is subtle. There are micro-racism aggressions out there, I guess you would say. And some of it is laced in nuance, and they are usually weeded out of the workplace. They're weeded out at the picnic table. They're weeded out around the fire with friends or when you have a beer at the Super Bowl. Racism is not what it used to be. And when you say that black people can't be racist, what you're doing is you're giving a free pass for another race to commit the same indiscretions that we did. It's not acceptable for anyone to base somebody's net worth, value, existentially, physically, monetarily, economically, spiritually, to the color of their skin. You might as well pick something as arbitrary as how many hairs they can grow on their face. People with thick beards are smarter than people with thin. Didn't we learn this from the psychological experiment of blue-eyed, green-eyed, and brown-eyed people? We are made up so much more than pigmentation. We are made up so much more of how dark or light we are. We have souls. We have hearts. Melanin is not important to whether we succeed in life. It's only important to a select few who say that we have to be more worried about somebody's skin than who they are inside. And what does that really do? It trivializes discussion. It stops dialogue before it even starts. Because God-fearing, That one day, black people, white people, brown, green, yellow, I don't care, peace, sitting down or standing up, come together and have a conversation where we uncover that none of those things are important. And the only thing that unites us, the only thing that brings us together is our country and our love for our fellow man and woman. Because really, that's what America is all about, not this other bullshit. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for being here. If you liked what you heard tonight in episode 141, come by tomorrow for episode 142. And also, if you do me a favor, make sure you like, share, and subscribe right over here on YouTube, Facebook, and everything else. God loves it when you do that, and he will no longer sacrifice puppies. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. 22 veterans a day commit suicide, traumatic brain injury, and also PTS are very, very real. If you cannot reach out to a veteran and have that conversation, you can call me and I will do it with you. And if that doesn't work, you can go to don'tunfriendme.com and you can ask for help by clicking the VCL link. And if you are a non-veteran, they will help you find the right person as well. Folks, thank you for stopping by. I hope you're enjoying the show. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback and I will continue to bring you my perspective. Whether you agree with it or disagree, whether you wind up loving me or hating me, all I ask is in the end, just don't unfriend me. I will see you all tomorrow.